All right. Welcome back, everybody. This is the corresponding author. My name is Stephanie Hicks, and I have my co-host here, John Michelli. And today we're going to continue down the theme of academic data science jobs. Last time we talked about the application process. This time we're going to talk about the interview. You ready, John? Yep, I'm ready to go. Okay. So first, let's just get the, the, the big, most important things out of the way. Let's talk about interview killers. These are the things that are absolutely going to kill any job talk or any job interview. Um, and not, you, in a good, not in a good way. Not in a good way. Yeah. If you get nothing else out of today's podcast, please take this away. <laughs> so one, lack of enthusiasm. I have seen this happen so many times. Have you seen this happen? I've seen it happen during a job talk, during an interview, during the dinner where people have been like asking questions to the order of, what are you excited about the city or what are you excited about the job? And the person kind of shrugs and doesn't really give an answer or a really bad answer. And that just conveys so much about they aren't interested in the job or the maybe the city or the position. What about yeah. you? Yes, I've seen this happen in many different forms and a variety of ways. And I just think lack of enthusiasm about the position or about the city or about the department is just a killer. Uh, second thing is ability to interact well with the faculty. So if you are unable to interact well with the faculty, you will likely not land the job. I There are a couple of ways that that could appear one, for example, you might not be curious about what the other faculty do. Second, you might um, feel like you want to debate faculty and be in conflict with them and disagree with them. And there's a healthy degree of that. But I, I find that just being collegial can go a long way. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. I mean, in academia, especially, you're hiring a colleague. So if you had the choice to hire someone where you had a terrible interaction or they, it was a clear lack of respect or something like that, it's like, why would you hire that person for, so you see them every day, go to lunch with them, have meetings with them? I, I don't think you would do that. And the other thing um, about it is I understand on an interview, you know, it's not necessarily your exact self. Everybody's putting on a little bit of a, a face. But if you can't even go through an interview showing that you care or interested or you are a collaborative person, you're never going to be able to do that in the job. So it's if you can't do that during the interview, then yeah, you're definitely not going to get a call back, I don't believe. It feels weird to have to mention this, but I just feel like it's so important and I, I wanted to stress that. Um, and then a couple other smaller things that I think are really important that are interview killers is one, you're, you don't really fit the vision or the direction of the department or of the school. So for example, Say you're interested in um, the theoretical aspects of machine learning and the school or the department is looking for a very applied person to work collaboratively with uh, people around the school to analyze their data and you're not into that, that's an interview killer. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you can still work on theory, but if yeah, the department's vision is about right, collaboration what the vision is or the direction of like why, what, what their way they want to go. Yeah. I mean, I haven't looked at Johns Hopkins vision or mission statement in a long time, but I know, for example, the school of public health, right. The, the goal is to improve public health. So although you might be doing really interesting stuff, if it doesn't somehow relate to that in any way, I think it's a, it's a difficult 
it's a difficult sell. It's a very difficult sell. You're right. Um, two other small things, not having the right background or teaching experience. So sometimes data scientists uh, get hired to do a little bit of teaching and you, if you don't have any teaching experience, sometimes that can be hard for people to suddenly start teaching when they've had no teaching experience. Um, and then specific backgrounds, meaning that, for example, if you come from a physics background and the school very much needs a different type of background, that could be a problem. Um, or lack of original or clear research plans. So I've seen people come and give interviews or people interview at jobs and it's completely unclear what they actually want to do. They just have a list of buzzwords essentially in their CV and it's it's like you ask them a question, what do you want to do for the next five years? And they give you a runaround. And so it's very hard to get enthusiastic about someone when you can't actually articulate what you think they want to do for the next five years. Absolutely. I also think, you know, you don't need to be able to hit the ground running necessarily, like out of the gate and know exactly what oh, you want yeah. to do. That's not what I meant. But I meant like you should have a vision or an idea of what you want to do. Exactly. But also I think those people who are gung-ho and seem like they could hit the ground running right out of the gate, those people do seem do excite me a bit more um, in the interview process because it's clear and they would be they're kind of champing at the bit to say, if I got here, I would do this like tomorrow. And that's not realistic, but it's still kind of an interaction between the enthusiasm plus like a planning. Yeah. And on, on top of that, you know, when you say lack of a plan, I mean any good department will have mentorship. That is but true. That, but that doesn't mean that they're going to hold your hand or they're going to make decisions or they're going to you know, project their vision on you. You don't want that. You want a mentor that says, you know, how do I get rid of this obstacle? How do I move around this problem? How do I, what would you recommend given your expertise? But it's not, you know, which, which, what should I work on? What, where should I move in this direction? Um, other than some very specific questions. So I think, Showing you are an independent researcher, even though if you might not feel exactly that yet, is a good thing to convey. And then the teaching aspect, you said, you know, I think a lot of people have difficulties with their CV, at least to them. They believe they're not, they don't show as a teacher, right? Because uh, you might have TAing experience or something like that. But it is important because teaching is a very different thing than, you know, research. Right. You know, if, if you've given talks, at least that's an interaction where you said, I've gotten in front of a room, I s made a slide deck usually, and I presented it. That isn't teaching per se, that's pres presenting, but at least that shows that you you might don't have to be comfortable in front of a room, but you can do it. Right. Totally. Okay. And then the, I, I think we have mentioned this in the past, or I might have mentioned this past, but I think what are the two most important things to keep in mind when you're going through the job application process and the interview process? And this has been reiterated to me over time by various people that your CV is essentially what lands you the job interview, but your job talk is what lands you the job offer. So last time we talked about the application process and how to get to the interview. Let's say you've got the interview now. You've been emailed the, by somebody in the department and they want to interview. Congratulations, first of all. That's huge. <laughs> you got that far. But then the thing in mind that you really want to focus on is that job talk. It is so crucial to your success in getting a job offer. 
So. And, and I will say this, there are some things that we will talk about today that will cover things about the in-person interview, but many times for either an academic or a uh, industry job interview, you'll have usually a phone interview or something like that where the a lot of these concepts, a lot of these things still apply. Sure. But the phone interview I find is more... Um, this is like a sanity check just to make sure that everybody's on the same page um, to make sure that they, they legitimately do want to interview in your department. Sometimes you get people who just submit a hundred applications and they don't really think, oh, I really want to go to this place. It's just like I'm shooting at applications everywhere and hopefully somebody bites. <laughs> Absolutely. I think a lot of times phone interviews are don't waste my time and don't waste the department or the whole um, you know, divisions time with the whole interview process. Cause it does take a lot of toll on the interviewing body. Right. So, but I think the lack of, the lack of enthusiasm can come through on the, the phone interview sure. that will, that you might just be nervous, but just be aware that that could actually kill the idea of you getting an onsite interview. And I've always said that you should be able to answer very easily out of the gate, no matter what type of job you're interviewing for, you should be able to answer the question, why do you want to work here Right. very easily? Yeah, very true. Okay. So should we move on? Absolutely. Okay. So last time we talked about um, various types of positions. I think we'll just briefly summarize those to keep us all on the same page. So we talked about the, the titles, um, instructor, data analyst, data scientist, um, research scientist. Actually, last week I heard about this new term that was brought up to me, research software engineer. So there's actually a whole professional organization in the UK and in the US. And these individuals kind of like sit at the boundaries of researchers and software engineers. And they're kind of like what we're describing where you have somebody who knows all the best practices of software engineering and data analysis at a professional level, but then they also understand research, which means that you're going to have to keep changing what you're doing as you're learning. It's like this weird hybrid. Um, so I thought that was really fascinating to learn about. Do you know of others? Did I miss some? Uh, I haven't ever seen that. I will say at some institu institutions, research associate is kind of a catch-all, but that is sometimes faculty, sometimes not. Sometimes they'll also be called research professors, research associate professors, rather than scientist track at some institutions. So the names vary a little bit in academia. Right. Yeah. Okay. So again, congratulations. You made it to the interview. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> um, so generally, I think interviews in academic type academic departments, they range from like one to two days. And you're going to have essentially two main components, a job talk and a lot of one-on-one -on -one or group meetings with faculty and students. Like that's the bulk of essentially what you do. And maybe a few dinners or something like that. Um, anything else I'm missing? Uh, no. And they can vary as to when you give them. So some places you'll give the job talk in the morning, some in the afternoon, some at the end of the day. So you should get some information before going in kind of to get your head right as to when it is. Yeah. And I'll just point out, this can be like really exhilarating and really exhausting at the same time. If, if you're interviewing at a place and you're having uh, meetings every 15, 30 minutes or an hour, you could easily meet with like 15 different people or have 15 different meetings throughout the day in addition to giving an hour job talk, for example. 
And that can be a little bit overwhelming, honestly. So definitely ask for water, take breaks, um, and just breathe. <laughs> it's a long yeah, it's a marathon. <laughs> bathroom breaks, coffee breaks. A lot of people will ask you for coffee. Um, I still think sometimes, even if you don't want coffee, be like, hey, do you just want to walk around? I try to walk around with candidates sometimes just because if you've been sitting all day. And then everything you just described, sometimes couple that with – you were pretty much traveling almost for a lot of the day before. And then you might've traveled, you know, on a Thursday, maybe had dinner with the chair, some other senior faculty on a Thursday night. And then Friday is this whole kind of thing. So couple that together with either a day of travel before or after. So it can, it can get exhausting. That's true. Yeah. So you might ask, who are you meeting with? Um, Typically it's faculty, junior um, and senior faculty in the departments, department, departments that you're interviewing. If you're doing an interview, for example, for a joint position, things you want to ask might be, for example, what are the expectations of promotion and are they clearly explained to you, for example? So if you ask a junior faculty, can you explain the, the process of promotion and they can't do that, then either they haven't thought about it before or it's not clear what the process is. Um, so that's something like I've I've learned how to ask very quickly. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great thing, especially for if you're an academic data scientist, because sometimes you will not fit in a box. No, not at all. That is fine, but just know that at academic institutions, a lot of times when you go up the chain of getting promoted, a lot of times it'll go to um, groups of people, committees that have an assortment of different people in there. And sometimes, well, every time someone, usually the chair, has to make a case for you to be promoted. And you know, just human nature, people are used to the familiar. And if you come with something that's very different, sometimes you have to make the case harder uh, in a harder way or in a different way to kind of encapsulate what this person does is right. as important or as equal in this regard. So mm-hmm. just just also ask, have you ever promoted someone like me if you yeah. if you feel like you're kind of out of the norm? And it might be like you want to ask specifically about software or there, there might be unique aspects to the position and you want to know, has anybody else done this before? Have they been successfully promoted? Because <laughs> you want to know that um, that this is possible at your institution. No, absolutely. And I would say that as statisticians, I, um, I don't take uh, offense to the way some people present it, but I will say it's a little disingenuous sometimes the way I've heard it discussed with respect to tenure, because the question generally is, you know, how many people get tenure and, or, you know, what percentage of people kind of get it. And a lot of times some places will describe it as, you know, we've never had a a case go to the committee that hasn't been approved or something like that. But that's, that's a weird denominator in my opinion. Yeah. Right. So it's not, you know, so as someone who's done some survival work and things like that, nutrition, the denominator to me is people who have, been professors. And then the numerator is those who have gotten tenure, not necessarily conditional on, we thought this was a case to go forward. So um, just be aware that those numbers can be a little bit skewed. Totally. But like even just taking tenure out of the equation, just talking about promotion, if you're a data scientist, you might not be in a tenure line. Like you might just be in a non-tenure line and you want to know, am I going to, do I have the ability to be promoted for my work here? (laughs) 
<laughs> like you just, you want to make sure that that's a thing. Absolutely. Like average time to promotion and stuff like that. And you'd be surprised, I think, of even very analytical departments that don't keep, I wouldn't say they don't keep stats on that, but they don't have that information readily available. What's the average time? You know, I want to know in years or I want to know, you know, percentages and stuff like that. And a lot of times I think you'll get, oh, I'll get back to you or we'll follow up with that or something like that, which is might be a little bit surprising to someone who's a very analytical person, which I assume if you're an academic data scientist, yeah. you usually are. Yeah. Um, other things, sex, junior faculty, for example, do you get feedback on what to improve or focus on for the promotion process? So you want to make sure that you're getting feedback from senior faculty about the promotion process. That's critical. Like you, you want to get annual feedback or consistent feedback. And if somebody sees you sliding off track, you want somebody in your department advocating for you and saying, Hey, I think you're getting off track. Let's talk about how to get you back on track. And typically that comes from senior faculty. Yeah, I, I think especially asking because senior faculty in many respects make a lot of the decisions or are on some of these promotion committees and things like that. And so I think if you're trying to really ask and get the nitty gritty, do you think this, you know, software is important or, you know, reproducibility is important? I think those people can give you an idea of the culture of the department and you can ask them because they know a lot more people at the school, but the True. junior faculty, they're in it, right? They, they're they've done it. it. Mud on they, their face. <laughs> Yeah, they were they were you, you know, three years ago or four years ago or six years ago. So those people know know the answers, um, but the senior faculty sometimes can give you an idea of if things are very amenable to the skill set you're bringing. Right. Yeah. And so for data science type positions, um, we have also heard about people being asked to do essentially homework or data analysis as part of the job. Do you want to talk more about that? So I will say that is that has been the majority of things I've interviewed an in industry for. So they usually give you a data set and say, you know, answer this question or give, give some interesting insights or things like that. And I will say I have heard people at Johns Hopkins at academic institutions kind of adopting this. I will say this isn't generally for tenure track positions, but if you're going to be hired as a data scientist, I think uh, sometimes your CV uh, is not enough in some respects. They want to just see, do you know how to actually analyze this data or what can you do in a day or a week? Because that is going to be the practical, you know, aspects of the job. job, Right. Yeah. Like, can you create a report? I agree with you that I mostly hear this happening in industry, but I also have heard it um, happening in academia. And I think it's something that academics can really understand and ask data or ask candidates to complete these projects or homework assignments, whatever you want to call them, as part of the interview process. So sometimes that often gets discussed during the interview. So you do your homework, you do your project, you come in for the interview and you discuss with the person who assigned it to you, for example. So that's another thing that can happen during your interview. Um, And then you also have the opportunity typically to meet with students. So this usually occurs over like a lunch or a coffee break, sometimes at dinner. And you want to ask the students, for example, like, how do you view the faculty? What do you like or not like about this department? I find that to be particularly insightful. (laughs) How about you? (laughs) Students tend to be very honest. 
Absolutely. Uh, I also think, um, depending, you also have to ask and uh, color the responses a bit by what year they are. In oh, their sure. Degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also ask, you know, what is the average time to graduation? Things like that. Right. Uh, but I, I always like to ask students, um, one, sometimes how they're funded. And then also, how often do they get to go to present at conferences and other things? Uh, because I think that's a really important thing for students to be able to do. Because I think as a department or as a as a mentor or advisor, I would love a student. They want I want them to get the job they want. And I think you know, like we just said, almost every type of job is going to have to give a job talk. And if the first talk or second talk you ever give is in front of an audience you don't know, that can be very jarring. So making sure students are allowed to go to other conferences or present at their work at other places um, and how, how, how the department kind of supports that has always been a very important aspect for me. Right. Other individuals you might be asked to, you will likely meet with are like the department chair, the division head, whoever that is. Uh, you want to come prepared with all of your hard questions for that person. If you haven't gotten your questions answered from junior or senior faculty or the students, the department head is going to be the one that will know all the answers to those questions. And if they don't know, they will be able to find out who will. Um so I find that's really important. And then also if it's a data science type of position, then you will likely be asked to meet with collaborators or researchers outside of your department who are interested, for example, in working with you on analyzing their data. So those meetings are typically set up. I mean, these process, this, these interviews can be very long, if you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. And, and they can either be interviews or they can be like breakfasts. Or breakfasts. Like- yeah. You know, breakfast with, you know, uh, so I work in imaging, so I've had interviews with Department of Radiology chairs, along with other people in biostatistics that had a discussion about the collaboration. I will say, I have never met with one, but I do know that some instances you may meet with the dean, depending on the school. I've heard of that too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I have no idea what to ask the dean. (laughs) I did it once and it was, yeah, it was like... Hi, I'm Stephanie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so what's, I mean, maybe the vision of what the school would be like in five or 10 years or what, what areas the, the school is putting money into, because we have a lot of initiatives, for example, at Hopkins, which might be relevant to ask. So whatever school-wide initiatives, because, you know, one of the things we'll talk about in a second is funding. And if the f- you, if you can be more competitive with internal funding, that's a very important thing. True, um, very true. Compared to going against, you know, all of the people going for this R, uh, NIH, you know, research proposal. Yeah, I mean, I made a joke, but I mean, I I pitched myself to the dean. I made a strong pitch for why they should hire me and why I'm amazing and all the cool things that I do. I made a pitch for I had done a little bit of research about the the school and the department itself and what their vision was, and so I made a strong case for how I would tie into that. I mean, there are a variety of things that you can do. And basically, when you go on these interviews, you should have what they call an elevator pitch. So in 30 seconds, you should be able to wow somebody with who you are, what you're doing, why you're prob- why these problems are importing, uh, important. And yeah, that's basically what I did because you have like 10 minutes with the dean. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think you'd be surprised, like especially someone who's at maybe the level of deans, they remember 
names, I would say, much better than the average person. Right, right. They remember they remember people. So, you know, especially if you do go to that institution, you know, if you are in the tenure track or whenever you're going up for, for, for promotion, usually the dean has to sign off and them knowing your name is it's usually valuable. a good thing. It's valuable, for sure. Okay, so let's talk about this job talk that we've been kind of hinting at this entire time. So this is typically a one hour, I don't know, 45 minutes, maybe like 15 minutes questions, job talk, summarizing what you've done thus far. It could be your research. So if you're in a more research-oriented data science track, it could be the type of work that you have done up until now. It could be discussing what you want to do. So going forward, your future research interest plans or it could be, for example, the types of collaborations that you want to build at that university. Or it could be, for example, you want to start a data science division or institute and what your vision is for that. There could be a variety of things that you talk about, but it's essentially one hour um, and you have the floor and it's make or break, make it or break it essentially. So I would say the the time allotted for the entire seminar is usually an hour, but as you noted on a previous podcast, do not go over time. Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> do not do that. <laughs> and I would leave at least 10 to 15 minutes, especially for a job talk. It's very different than other talks. 10 to 15 minutes because people will be asking questions. For sure. I mean, if you're an interesting candidate, people will ask questions. That's a good thing. You want people to ask questions. You want them to be curious and know more about your vision and your ideas. That's the whole point. And I think sometimes people uh, get coached to I, – I will say don't ever say that you know something when you don't. Don't mm-hmm. ever try to you know flub your way through it because there are experts in the room and they will see that. Yeah. But don't overuse the uh, get back to you or I don't know, we didn't look into that. Like, you know, you can still spitball like what is your best guess or something like that. You know, obviously with some pretense saying, you know, I haven't really thought about that, but maybe this is one way I would consider going about it because that's what people are are really trying to see. You, you've encountered something new relevant to your work. It might be a different problem or a different adaptation. How would you maybe react? to that or how could that lead to a new area of research and and that's what people are looking for yeah i really like how you just put that i mean you want to shine basically you you want people to leave the room with like a succinct idea of what you've done and what you want to do um and you you really want to show that you're the best candidate for the position and there are a variety of ways you can do that as you said yeah, I mean it's it's also I, I think academics sometimes or at least in the sometimes the hard sciences sciences need to really understand like you're selling yourself. Like you gotta sell you. You gotta sell the candidate, you gotta sell your research. Right. It, yeah. It's a market. You wanna pitch your ideas and make it exciting. Yeah, so. and if you don't seem excited, why would anyone else be excited? Back to that lack of enthusiasm, that interview killer bit. <laughs> it's like it's so obvious in the job talk too. <laughs> Like, and and that it's interesting because sometimes just that passion, I've seen people talk about things that I don't really have any interest in, but they, you know, it it was just so visible. They were like busting at the seams to just tell you about it. It's contagious. It really is when you see somebody like that. So. Um, <laughs> and it was funny because I, I could tell that if if I had seen them in the hallway and asked them about this, like they could have gone on for another hour. Right. Clearly. I, clearly. Yeah. Those those people, they are very passionate about what they do, which is what you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean yeah. 
that, but also I just want to note that that doesn't mean anything about your personality. You don't have to be an extrovert. You don't oh, have to yeah. be gregarious. Like it, it just showing that you care about the work you do and that you're, you take pride in it. It can be conveyed in a whole lot of different ways. That is so true. You do not necessarily have to be an extrovert, for example, to thrive in this community. You have to be able to communicate. I mean, that's critical, but you don't necessarily have to like you know, have this personality that's like contagious everywhere you go, but you, you need to be able to convey your excitement and your enthusiasm of your ideas and your work clearly in a, in an hour talk that has to happen. Um, so how does that happen? Practice. So I practiced my job talk so many times. I practiced in front of my, my lab. I practiced in front of my family, my friends. If you have a dog or a cat, practice in front of them. Hamster, no judgment. I mean, whatever works for you, practice and get feedback from people who are not in your field. That's really important. Yeah, you should... Your first job talk should be in front of people and they, in my opinion, should rip it to shreds. Yeah, Right? Um, in, in the they, most kind way possible, in the most constructive way possible. But yeah, they should rip it to shreds. Yeah. Like simple stuff like 30, light, slide 39. I have no idea what's going on here. It's too busy. Remove it or cut it or like move this to there. Like yeah. that's the type of feedback you want. But also, you want to do that sometimes. Not just, you don't just have one job talk necessarily. I would polish it. And sometimes that can be given to multiple places. But sometimes you're going to a different department and you're, advisors and people you work with know things about that department and know how it kind of operates more than you do. And you can say, Hey, I'm going to give a talk here. Like, how would you change this talk? Maybe for that audience, how would I tailor it for them? And sometimes they're like, no, that's exactly what they'd want versus you might want to add this or you won't want to move that here. Or like, I know mm -hmm. this person there, they're going to ask you this question. So you might want to put that in there. So true. Um, yeah. yeah, very true. And then if you are in a type of position, a data science, academic data science position that has any teaching component to it, you might be asked to teach a class, like an actual class on a specific topic that the hiring committee um, reached out to you in advance and gave you notice and you prepared for. I've heard of that before. If it's more of a research position um, and you're like starting a division or you're starting a new institute, for example, you might be asked to give something like a chalk talk where there are no slides and you're just supposed to talk about for an hour your vision and how you're going to implement that vision. What are the constructive or the steps that you're going to take to be able to accomplish those goals? So that can be something that you might may or may not see outside of a job talk, but for sure you're going to have some kind of job talk and then maybe some of these other things. Yeah, because most academic institutions are less, unless they're like completely research, right? They have students. And so even if you're going for a pure data science, like an analyst job, I think sometimes people will still bring up the thing like, have you ever thought of teaching? What would you teach? So just be prepared for that question. Mm -hmm. Right. So and I think in the, in the, sorry, in the CV, we talked about like research statement, teaching statement, and some other things. I think we've talked, yeah. talked about the research is the job talk. The teaching discussion usually is right. in the one-on-ones and then like vision doesn't come through your CV. Vision is something that you might've talked about in your research statement. Right. Um, yeah. It really comes out in your conversations though. So, yeah. and then the last thing I'll say, which I think you're going to bring up is funding. Oh, no, I was going to talk about the dinner. 
Oh, well, I think funding, <laughs> funding is always a question that, especially if you come from academia is especially a PhD student, it might not be something you thought about, but an academic data scientist, I think might get grilled even a little bit more because. True. Yeah. If, talk you know, more about that. So I think a lot of people, you know, it's always like, oh, I've gotten questions like what specific stuff, like what division of the NIH would you submit to or what kind of, you know, calls would you submit to versus much more broad things like how do you think you'll get funding? Where do you think you, you know, put a grant in, things like that, that are kind of some things I didn't think about on, on like the first couple of job interviews and it was very clear out of the gate. Um how that would happen. Now that's, so tenure track job versus research track is a little bit different. I think the research track, many times there'll be a funding mechanism in place. You'll be under maybe a PI, but the discussions will be much more, how open are you to kind of shifting focus? If like funding comes here, how open are you to writing your own grants? Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of an understanding in a tenure track position, in a soft money environment that you're going to, in a research track position, I think they assume... Uh, that you're going to be funded, but you, always the question is like, have you had any experience? Would you be open to that? What would you write about? Even if you're not going for maybe a um, a position that would seem like you're the PI out of the gate. Yeah, or teaching. Like you can even imagine a data scientist being hired to teach large data science courses, for example. And there you're going to be probably funded primarily by tuition, so hard money. Um, so that's another mechanism. But I, I like how you framed it. It's, it's like there's a range of positions and that range in terms of how those positions are funded. So whether you're very collaborative, meaning that your funding comes from a lot of little different sources, a lot of sources um, across the map or whether you write your own grants and you fund your own work. Um, and there's no right or wrong. It's just, there's a variety of ways to fund these positions and you have to ask and figure out how are these, how is this position being funded? What are the expectations that I need to know for this position, et cetera? Yep. And, and in a similar vein, uh, like people ask, where would you submit a grant to sometimes they will ask what what type of journals what journals do you submit your research to uh, especially because if you're coming in with like a much more data analyst uh, applied research profile and some of the people you're discussing or talking with are from a theoretical background or maybe a more standard type of background they might not know so really have that on hand right absolutely so funding is really important and i've i've seen positions in which people are asked to actually write grants themselves, but most of them I find uh, they don't. So they typically are working on other people's grants and they're do they're implementing other people's ideas. However, I think that model is changing. I find a lot of data scientists are the ones asking the important questions and they're ones that are getting to do their implement their own research ideas. And I'm excited by that. So I hope that the the trend continues in that direction. Yeah. So now you've you've done all that, you've discussed all this out, and now you're going to dinner. Right. Okay. So I just I bring up dinner because sometimes like people uh, might be very nervous about what happens in these uh, these dinners, and I just I want to state that the purpose of the dinner is for you to go out with the faculty. It, it may be the hiring the people who are essentially on the search committee to hire you. And these are your potential colleagues. And what they want to know is that, are you a human being? Can they get along with you? Can 
can you guys have a conversation outside of just science? I mean, it's it's really a moment for you to just take a break and express that you are a human being. You have other interests outside of work. <laughs> um, enjoy a meal together. It's it's not that intimidating. I so I was very intimidating the first couple of times I did it, but then I realized these these individuals they just want to know that I'm a human and that I I have other interests, and so um, just. Be who you are and embrace that. <laughs> yep, I, I I couldn't agree more. I will say though that is still part. It's still part of the interview. Yeah, it's for sure. Like, yes, you don't want to. It, you can tank your interview for sure by saying inappropriate things or <laughs> having inappropriate actions for sure. But I find it's it's not that scary, and if you make smart decisions, <laughs> it'll be just fine. Yeah. And um, you don't have to share anything you wouldn't share on the interview. Like I know there is discussion sometimes about two body problems and significant others. Uh, yes. Yes. So that's still something just, it is a little bit more difficult to navigate because I think during, you know, one-on-one interviews, people may or may not ask those questions or they may ask them indirectly. One, if you do bring that up, I believe they are they are allowed to just discuss that, but if you prompted that. But if you don't want to have that discussion, it is a little bit more difficult, in my opinion, to navigate during the dinner. But um, I will say also, if you think of dinner, uh, we have seminars here and we take those seminar speakers out to dinner and we have discussions with them. You know, we also want to know that if we if we have you as a host to other people and you're a representative of the department, you're going to be able to have dinner that, you know, is not going to be strange or offensive or anything like that. So right. I will say yeah. it's, it's not, it's not an interview for dinner, but it's also like, this might be part of the, not requirements, but part of the, the, the things you do as an academic when people come to visit. Um, but did you want to bring up some of those discussions of like two body problems and things like that or sure. other so, conditions? Yeah. So, well, let's talk about two body problem first or in my case, I'm I'm the academic in my family, but my partner is not an academic. And so when I was on the job market, how to bring up the fact that you do have a partner and you would like to know that your partner is going to be able to get a job in the city that you're moving to. And so I have heard a variety of ways to do this. <laughs> um, and I'll just state, for example, the, the way I did it was, um, and this comes back to something that happened on Twitter this week. So there was a, a tweet I read uh, from somebody who was sitting in a coffee shop and this person overheard a conversation between what I'm guessing is a PI and his student. And the PI was recommending to the student that she does, does not disclose the fact that she's pregnant on her job interview um, because they will immediately not take her seriously and or she will not get the job. Um, I think that's antiquated and I am frustrated by that. For example, I went on the job market um, at the in the year that I got pregnant and so I gave interviews uh, when I was five and a half months to seven months pregnant. So I can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine a full day of talking. I'm a talker <laughs> and I talk for a full day and I'm exhausted. I can't even be imagine being five months pregnant in general rather than even going through that. My gosh. Yeah, that was interesting. And it was, I liked the fact that there was a cultural divide. I only interviewed in the US, but there was a cultural divide of where I interviewed. So technically you're not supposed to talk about the fact. So if somebody is pregnant, you're not 
meant to like ask them about that. But um, in the north, where I interviewed at places in the north, uh, people were very quiet and tried to like just ignore the fact that I was pregnant um, in a very awkward way. And then in the south, whenever I would interview, I would walk into the room and somebody would say, oh my gosh, you're pregnant. <laughs> it was just, it was like an interesting cultural divide. Um, so yeah, I so I had this discussion about partners because I was pregnant, and so I I felt very comfortable saying, well, yes, I I'm I'm having a baby here in a few months, and I have a partner, and I would like to discuss how what are the opportunities here for these types of fields, um, and so I find bringing that up is important, and. I found the discussion of whether or not to disclose whether I was pregnant. I mean, in my case, it was very obvious. I found it as a useful discussion because I I found that there were departments that were family friendly and there were departments that were not. And it became very clear to me which ones were or were not. And I found that interesting and useful and insightful because I don't necessarily, I did not want to go to a place that was not family friendly. For me, that was important. And so if you are pregnant and you are going on the interview, I encourage you to bring it up because it's it's something that you're going to have to deal with once you do have the baby and you want to know that you're in a place that's willing to embrace having families, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And I think from the department's perspective, they also um, can also discuss different benefits that they might not out of the gate. So I know at, at Johns Hopkins, if you're a faculty member, uh, I, I, know, I don't know if this is your forever institution, but if, if you're here while your, your child is going to college, they provide a substantial benefit for tuition. Right. And I don't know if that, that, that discussion is brought up. If, you know, maybe kids don't come into play or like, you know, childcare, at the university or other questions like that. I will say, I don't know um, anyone that really ever got sold on an institution based on that information, but it's never bad to know, you know, what's going on. What, what do people do here? Because, you know, those are, those are significant aspects of, you know, financial um, ramifications. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I have, I I don't have any kids, but I know a lot of my friends who discuss the daycare costs. So, um, yeah, so so some of those things can be selling points that really just put cherries on top of something that's already a, a, a good fit. Yeah. Um, so some other things to think about. So we had a discussion about whether or not to look up the faculty in the department that you're interviewing at. So I know you and another faculty member. So I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold you up. I do want to ask if you have any recommendations on the two body problem, how to preach oh, sorry. it. Sorry, great question. Sorry. Um, so I found. Well, in my case, it came up earlier than I expected. But in general, I have found people have told me what they do is they don't necessarily bring it up in the um, the one-on-one interviews with the faculty on the first interview, but they might bring it up at the dinner, for example, which is a typical more casual setting. They might say, for example... Um, in a very casual way. Oh, well, I also have a partner and they are interested in, they have a business degree and they're interested in learning more about the opportunities for um, starting up your own business in this town. Like, And so you do it in a very casual way that suggests that you are a human being and you know a little bit more about, you know more things than just your field of expertise. Um, I've heard of people talking about this on the second interview. So really like when they bring you back for a second time or bringing this up after you've got the job offer letter. Um, There are a variety of ways of doing this, but just 
casually bringing it up in a way that doesn't make somebody feel afraid, like they have to have an answer right away of how to deal with that is a very good thing. Okay. No, I think that, I think you? that's reasonable, but uh, I, I don't know. I haven't really heard any recommendations, but I would say um, I've heard earlier in the process, the better, but not necessarily, I mean, earlier being after the initial interview. Oh, so I should preface it. I should clarify. Like I'm talking about um, somebody who, if you have a partner that's not an academic, but then there are also the ones that are looking for literally the two body problem, the definition of a two body problem, meaning that you are both academics there. There's a whole, um, there are a whole set of people who are in that boat as well. I'm not one of those people. And so I haven't had to go through that myself. Do you have experience or know others who've had to do that? I mean, some people interview literally for the same job and then it becomes very obvious. <laughs> I, I do have a friend or two who's, who's gone through that. Um, and I think there it's interesting because it's very varying as to which department has more, I wouldn't say power, but more levers to pull. Um, or, yeah. uh, things because there are certain restrictions, especially at state institutions on how many tenure track, uh, each department has allotted and things like that. But I think sometimes bringing that up in the interview process, like if, if they, if you did hear back from an institution or, um, anything like that, then maybe bringing this up almost always it's brought up specifically with the chair or the head, not necessarily, not any other faculty member other than maybe the, the head of the search committee, but I would highly doubt anybody but the chair would really be in these discussions, Correct. but I don't yeah. know necessarily the timing. Yeah. I mean, I've also heard it, the earlier, the better, but I don't have firsthand experience with that. So maybe we can have somebody on to talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what do you think about looking up the faculty in the department that you're interviewing at? I know you, you have differing opinions with other faculty in our department about this. I think you do it. I mean, uh, I think you look up their, their research and stuff like that. Just, I mean, look at the last four or five papers they publish or what they teach, because I think that also is super helpful to, to note like, Hey, you teach this class. Like what's that class like? And be able to ask questions like that. Because when people are like, what class are you going to teach? It's very difficult sometimes, uh, if you don't know what classes they already do teach, so knowing what their department teaches, what their portfolio looks like, and then finding out who teaches those is sometimes useful. But you usually have a list. Sometimes you know people give you those lists different days in advance. Uh, also, I had those lists change the day of. Where it's like, oh, we gave you this itinerary, and you know half the people are changed, and it's like, oh, okay. Um, I usually do have a. I had a crib sheet kind of knowing who they are. And I think it's interesting because I've definitely gone into a room and that person doesn't know who I am, hasn't seen my CV. That was going to be my point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so I think it, it just shows that you've done, um, some preparation and I don't ever think that seems bad. Now, if you, if you know, like, you know, what their favorite drink is and stuff like that, that might be a yeah, little bit right. uh, too much. A little bit personal, <laughs> stalking yeah. them on the internet. I agree. So if, if there's something on their website, their professional website, um, information on their CV, information about the types of research uh, questions they're interested in or type of data sets they work with, all fair game. It actually shows that you've done your homework. It shows that you're interested in the, the people who work there. And it's flattering. I mean, it's honestly flattering. But as you said, 
you have to assume that most of the people will not know your name. Like when they sit down to interview, they will have just printed out your CV. You will sit down with them in your office and they'll be looking at your CV and they'll look at you and they'll say, tell me about yourself. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And you game on. Yeah. And it's just like, you can point out on here on my CV, this happens, you know? Right. Um, but I will say also I have had I've had looked up people and realized that I've had collaborators or I have friends who are on papers with them. And I you know, we end up talking about, you know, that person for like five or ten minutes, be like, Oh, how do you know them? It's like I did this. And then like usually those are the discussion points. Uh, you know, you actually discuss the interaction of, oh, like I met them at this conference, like, oh, you were at that conference, like, yeah, that venue is crazy, or that venue is really good or really bad. Like, so it's it kind of sometimes does lead to natural discussions that aren't necessarily academic, but much more uh, informal in a good way. So I would say look them up, but I don't think, I think that's the way I would recommend it, but not necessarily knowing their entire CV or anything like that. Right. Yeah. So then there's of course like second interview. So if your first one was successful, an offer is made hopefully, and then, I mean, ideally, and then the there's a second interview, which really comes for you to explore the town that you're going to maybe move to, maybe connect you with a realtor, meet with faculty that you didn't have the opportunity to meet with on the first interview. Um, you can ask to meet with faculty outside the department for like potential collaborators, things like that. So there's that. Um, I think I think on the first interview, it's somewhat equal pitching back and forth. They're pitching the department, you're pitching yourselves. On the second interview, it's I think it's a lot more on the department pitching you certain aspects. True. Yeah. Um, I'm looking. Yeah. So I'm looking at the time. So we, I have all this other information about preparing for faculty interviews and like the things that you may be asked. Is this something you want to go into now or you want to talk about it another time? Well, we did have the discussion that you uh, were pregnant while interviewing, and I know it's it's four o'clock, so I know you have some some parental duty. So let's cut it here, and okay. we will follow up next time. Okay, so we'll we'll have another part two with interviews. Does that sound good? Absolutely. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Right. Thanks. Bye. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at correspond auth or my handle is strictly stat and stephanie's is stephanie hicks and you can email us at the corresponding author at gmail.com